Welcome to Philly Coco Presents Sci Project Spotlight, Episode 9. This is a chronicle of the developer's journey to making cool stuff. We are your host. I'm Kotaro. I'm Steve. And I'm Aaron. And we are Philly Coco, Philly based Coco Heads community. Coco Heads is a loosely based global network of meetups focused on the Apple development. That primarily, but not exclusively, means iOS, Mac, tvOS, and watchOS development. CocoHead's prime directive, or objective, <laughs> is to help you edu- elevate your own development journey. And with that, how are we doing in our AR <laughs> journey <laughs> for this season? Uh, I like the idea of having a prime directive. And the, if our prime directive <laughs> yeah. was to uh, figure out an AR app idea, then I, I have uh, been in violation. I think everyone watching too much Isaac Asimov uh, movies or TV shows. <laughs> so yeah, last time we're looking into AR, the metaverse, uh, kind of jokingly, we're not really metaverse site, but we're, we're really very interested in augmented reality, something that Apple uh, supports probably better than anybody else, right? And uh, it's, I, I think there's going to be some interesting products on the horizon coming from multiple companies, right? So we were trying to do some research last time. We'll see how far we got. I know that, Coulter, you've been posting a lot of stuff uh, in the Slack. If you allow Twitter's timeline which, um, to, uh, to um, choose these things for you, um, you get um, a lot of opportunities to see a lot of AR projects out in the, in the wild. Uh, that you wouldn't necessarily see on your own, you know, based on who you followed. Um, again, that's kind of good and bad, but at least now that I sort of engage with AR content a little more, Twitter is presenting them more in my timeline, whether I like it or not. Um, having said all that, um, there's interesting hardware where everybody's trying to become the next AR glasses of choice. Yeah, AR glasses of choice. Uh, and the form factors are looking better and better over time. So, you know, like, for example, the Facebook one, there's a lot of indie ones out there um, building glasses that look bulky still, but are getting closer to looking like Ray-Bans than prior. <laughs> yeah. Are these are these glasses projects you're seeing the kind where it's a transparent uh, you know, transparent glasses you can see through, or are they ones where they're full goggles and it's a camera that's bringing in the outside world to your vision, or both? I can't speak to a lot of them because you know it's it's easier to like have the physical device on your face to get that sense. Uh, usually, they're doing like these like glorified demos when you're seeing the promo videos from the from a POV perspective, from yeah, the first perspective. Yeah. So it's hard to tell, yeah, because I, I know I've seen the rumors of kind of like two different types of products that uh they're saying like a- apple uh, you know might make and one is like the kind of goggles completely blocks your vision right and then uses cameras to bring in the outside world and then you'd have the one that we're i think i've been thinking of and maybe you have too for years the idea of literal glasses with some kind of like heads-up display kind of in front of your face i don't know if it's just um it's just the limitations of the technology at the moment where you can't It'd be great if you can just sort of have the AR mode and then hot swap in a mixed reality mode, right? Or I'm sorry, a, a VR mode, right? In the same goggle without 
doing some kind of hacky trick, right? And this is my own ignorance, not understanding the technology deeply at all. What's the biggest uh, glasses device right now, like that's mainstream, actually you can get? Uh, what's that? Um, is there one from some social media company? Snap. Oh, yeah, the Snap glasses, right? Aren't they like the biggest one or one of the biggest ones? Spectacles, right? I mean, uh, like, yeah, I mean, where Th- those are, those are like glasses you could, they're like sunglasses, and then uh, they project or whatever they, whatever the verb is, onto your uh, eye line, and they have little cameras yeah. in the corners. Yeah. That's what I imagine yeah. when I imagine AR. Not like this hideous design, but. <laughs> you know i guess i guess that might be in the eye of the beholder Ooh, sure, i just accidentally sure. punned wow yeah, that's an accidental pun there i i accidentally I pun all the time would you, would you would you buy it would you buy these spectacles <laughs> um you know if it depends on how expensive they are i guess as a i would like to try them out i don't think i would you know, wear them regularly because they look kind of ridiculous but i mean they are proof of concepts like a lot of what you're seeing is proof of concept ideas. I don't know if I would actually want to see them in my face all the time. Like these are not practical. Um, when you're looking at the demo, they're also not available. They're not like a thing that you can buy right now. The, the... They have the uh, spectacles. Yeah, they they have spectacles three. That's not the one. The next gen. I think those are just kind of a glorified camera. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't yeah. think that there's really any AR stuff going on with those. So is there anything you can actually buy? I mean, most of these I've seen are basically cameras. Like, I saw them, some kind of Ray-Ban ones that I think just have cameras in them. They're not, like, I don't know if they're actually heads up or anything. Right. Um, there's no, there's nothing, like, like on, the, on, the, on one spectrum, you have the Oculus Quest, um, which you can get for, like, $300, and that's all VR, right? And then, um, and so that's not, I mean, I, I don't know if there's I don't know if there's one to where you can have an outside camera to it, but you would never wear that outside. <laughs> I, I would say that there's this like version zero of these things. It's kind of like these Ray Bans, which are and maybe like the earlier spectacles, which are glasses that basically let you record things, take phone calls, post to the internet, you know, post to social media or something, and. Uh, and that's about it. Like they're not really AR glasses. And then you have like this next gen spectacles, right? Which they're claiming gives you like this AR view of the world. And then you have, and that would be what people hope eventually some kind of Apple glass would be. And then you also have those fully immersive Oculus style, right? Which is, which is, uh, which if it's going to be AR means it has to bring it in through a camera system in order for you to not pump in your furniture. I mean, my my guess is that I think it would be much closer to the former, because, like, you know, we always have to consider the battery life of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I don't know if it's it's practical, right? In that sense of like, well, I'm, I'm saying these are what I think exists right now. Like, they're, they're that's what the, the these things exist in the world. Like, there's like I'm calling them level zero, one, and you know, two. I'm a nerd. I feel like it's closer to like 0.5. What I want is, of course, the uh, the spectacle style, but like you know, looking good. I want I want it's just regular glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's Ray Bans, yeah. but not. Uh, I mean, I see one from Apple Insider that they say won't come out till like 2025. 
which on some level makes more sense than it's that's probably the the most practical thought pattern because yeah yeah because coming out i don't think it should come it would be smart to come out this year even though that's what everyone's clamoring for like if they did it this year it would be like watch it would be like watch series zero all over again or it'll be what everyone else is doing which is like a dev kit it's not never meant for consumers like those spectacles the next gen spectacles are a dev kit like that's what like microsoft hololens all of these things are all like dev kits because nobody knows um or whatever everyone's just trying to make content for these things so if we're gonna make content for them make some kind of app i'm just trying to, trying to narrow down what do you i, I think the next actual hardware product that will be in uh, available for you to buy as a consumer is gonna be more like the um like the full goggle kind of deal i think that's probably what apple might release i mean that's what some of the rumors are saying right that like the first version is going to be this and that kind of thing would be more for your what, sitting at your desk kind of utility or in your living room but you don't you don't want to be moving walking around with that right i mean it doesn't it, ha- it doesn't have like one that's strapped like right in the center of your head right versus it's mostly all like like um i don't know how to describe it i mean it's like it's like uh it's like as if the if you use the sports the apple sports watch material or the the and then you added like a huge transparent goggle to it um almost like a ski goggle <laughs> which um i can't imagine it being much more than like it that feels more like a dev kit <laughs> than it does an actual product yeah apple doesn't really release dev kits though so much any like i mean early early on in a product cycle but then like months before a product the only time I, re- I mean, they've done it for like what any chip related product, right? So like the Intel transition, and then the and then now with the M1 transition, they had dev kits. Um, in that case, they had like a modified uh, M1 N1 Mac uh, M1 uh, Mac Mini that you could use. So I can't imagine them going like, especially for like a big zero, you know, zero, you know, like big like. If they want to have the same type of like iPhone release, even Apple Watch release was pretty much like a big spectacle, right? Similar spectacle in that sense. Um, I don't, I wouldn't call it as game changing as as the iPhone in that sense, but they definitely gave it the same type of release um, uh, spectacle, I guess. <laughs> the uh rumors here on mac rumors have have it being more like the first kind of headset being a focus on gaming and streaming video and video conferencing and more like an oculus style thing and that 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 sounds plausible to me that seems like the thing that's technologically the most feasible for a consumer product right now and i could see some utility in that especially if uh, you're working from home or something and you want to have a more immersive experience with your useless meetings uh you know instead of zoom (laughs) i mean is it really like a game-changing experience from a if we're just talking about meetings like i get this is early early days but it just strikes me as like was it a solution looking for a problem (laughs) yeah possibly well (laughs) see that's the thing so the the technology that apple has built into ios and ipad os uh for AR stuff is actually really good. And you can imagine all kinds of, of really neat applications. And they've demoed a bunch of applications as well. 
and there are actual products in the app store you can buy you can use but uh they're all kind of limited because you have to use your phone like they're all they're all very aspirational like you you can imagine this would be so much better if i could just wear glasses more but there there is a whole category of apps that are using this technology in in ways that make more sense with the current hardware like uh, i always think of the i don't know i guess it uses the apis the the apps that kind of track an athlete's movement or something and give them feedback about what they're doing or the the apps that you can use as part of a recording creating like a like a video creating a movie we can record like your 3d environment or put a put a person into a virtual world for you know purposes of like recording stuff they did that as demos right we can and they had the occlusion stuff so you can be blocked by a virtual object and the the real reason i would do that right now is because i wanted to make a movie or i wanted to have a game or i wanted to have a live video conference or something with someone because i'm not going to just walk around with my phone up in the air doing doing that i mean it's actually kind of nice it might be actually a good idea for storyboard blocking or um so like you can instead of having to like draw or something maybe you can go on set figure out maybe like put it uh know where maybe like a 3d asset's going to be in the film and then like just test it in like with an ipad just kind of like look around the ipad would act as your camera maybe take a snapshot and then add it to a storyboard or something um something of that nature where you're just trying to like block out your scenes um but you want to make sure like maybe this prop would be better here and you had like a virtual stand-in just to see how that might look it's a hard challenge when um you're building solutions for a product that doesn't exist yet (laughs) that's that's the whole issue with these ar uh, the AR APIs for years now. Every time Apple updates them, it's like, oh, that's really cool. And they come out with some great demos at WWDC. But then you go, you sit down, you're like, well, what am I going to actually make that's useful to anybody right now? And there's 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 products, but just not a lot. It will be telling to figure out or to see like next WWDC what they what they add to ar like sometimes you you're noticed like in scene kit or sprite kit they would completely stop development of like any new features um and as a game developer that was disheartening like maybe after two years of work then they sort of slowed down dramatically in what they added to sprite kit and then you realize oh it doesn't have you know it, this is as good as it's going to get for a long while <laughs> they've moved on and i think that's the challenge I've heard that about Sprite Kit, that it's yeah. kind of been neglected. It's tough because it's trying to compete with a, an industry that's like they're constantly updating. Literally, like every one to two weeks, there's like a new, you know, dot, you know, o o o one, you know, update to their to their um, to their builds. Like they're constantly updating and refining that that um, their engines. Yeah. Well, in terms of gaming on ios that that is one of the areas that uh, augmented reality seems to make some kind of sense if you remember what was that that pokemon go craze kind of an early example of that i don't even think it used ar kit right at least at first didn't even i don't even know if that existed at the time i don't know if that i don't know what engine it uses but it, it probably uses some version of like an ar something called ar foundation well okay so like in unity they have something called ar foundation i don't know what the equivalent it is on unreal engine but like Basically, it's just a way so that if you're doing it from Android or you're doing it from iOS, it knows to call the right 
APIs, and it's kind of doing that under the hood. Um, but the funny thing is, I think like if you had it on AR mode, right, when you're battling these Pokemon, like uh, <laughs> it actually takes out so much battery life. There, it's like why, <laughs> like it sucks more battery life. So it's like don't don't turn that mode on. <laughs> I mean, I know this was years ago, and there was lots of stories about it, but I still remember craze where they these these kids especially just walking around middle of the night all over my town it got so bad that uh at one point we were, we were having concerts in the middle of town we did that in the summer summer music series so i was dropping bait in the middle of town square just to like attract the pokemon go players like <laughs> we get more people to come out and it really worked like some people would show up like, it was bait you know one of those things you could drop in the game it was very funny and i remember one time this really would really made an impression on me. Did you pay? Did you pay Pokemon money for that? No, I just I had like a like a free one, so I just used that. But I the thing that made the the strongest impression on me is that there was one time I was coming home from the city really late, and I like I fell asleep, and I I ended up missing my stop at Jenkintown. Ended up on the next stop down the road, like Noble Station. So it's a little bit of a walk. I had to walk all the way back home, and on my walk, and we're talking like midnight or something. I think it was on a weekday. There was just all these teenagers. It was in the summer, so they didn't have school. They're like all walking around with their phones, like trying to catch Pokemon at like midnight. Oh, geez. You should, have you been to Ocean City during that craze? No, I saw I saw videos of, of this kind of even even bigger, you know, huge crowds of people. But but it was an early example, though, I think, of how this kind of technology can be so immersive and so like appealing that you can get people to just literally walk around in the middle of the night and have huge crowds and 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 that really got me thinking about this space more you know thinking this is actually has has something to it at least for games games is a is a great example but but there's something to it it's it's not just a you know it's not just like a demo it's not just a good tech demo there's there's some some good good stuff in there sure it's not just pokemon well yes okay a lot of it's pokemon yes that you can do you can do it I mean, it is kind of funny. It's almost like it's almost like when you talk about bait, right? There's literally like a school of of young teenagers running towards the spot. <laughs> but there's yeah, there's lots of uh, po- you know, lots of been Pokemon games. But I think the play loop is what the novelty of that play loop. Yeah, and it lasted yeah. long enough that it wasn't just like a flash in the pan for one week. It was like a flash in the pan for a couple months. I mean, it's still going. Like I know friends who are still playing that game to this day. So I think that's kind of. That's kind of funny to uh, to observe. We're not really thinking about a game, are we? Or game product? No, 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 no. I'm I'm thinking much more utilitarian than that. Yeah. So, but you you've recently been doing um, more game stuff, right? Oh, yes. Nice transition. Um, it's I'm I'm great at the awkward transition. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So um, right now there is um, something called Global Game Jams that's happening. Um, it kind of, it depends. It used to be it. Usually is a 48-hour game jam, but because of the state of the world, uh, we're allowed to sort of create certain types of rule sets. And in our case, uh, for the Game Mechanics, which is a local game meetup here in Philly, which I'm a part of, um, they decided to do a 10-day game jam. So um, originally, I was just going to be there as sort of like a moderator and just somebody that would help out if anybody needed it. Um, but like a lot of game jams tend to happen you gotta get pulled into like the vortex of like helping construct teams to do the jam with so i can't speak to i don't think i can say what the theme of the jam is but um 
the fun thing is like a the team needed um you know usually you would get a you would get an idea what the theme is and then you kind of um you kind of then start to form yeah uh, start to form your team around the theme like you start thinking about ideas thinking about different concepts and then you would um play then you would kind of go off and build a, a prototype basically um within the time constraint um and we're trying to do it in the spirit of 48 hours but you know 10 days some people have more time some people have less time the way you plan a game jam or making a game jam is dramatically different um with a 10-day limit than a 48-hour limit um because 48 hours is like a compressed set of time in a traditional sense normally you would get together in one space um and the theme is announced you would form teams in that 48 hours and then you would spend a ton of time together in a compressed time and space to build a game uh so maybe you have somebody doing the artwork somebody making the level somebody doing the mechanics of the game somebody making music and you would all be working in you know in that space and hopefully you get some sleep in between that time <laughs> but um what ends up happening is like this is like this is like um an experience of like you um crunching to the end um and if you don't plan your and scope your this jam correctly you might end up like in a mass crazy rush to the finish line um but at the end of the day when you finish this prototype um it's a bit euphoric in a weird way of you just you're seeing your baby if you will and it's running and it's doing things and you had thought of this idea just 48 hours before and you were just like wow this thing exists it's pretty amazing the interesting thing about it right like i don't describe myself as a game developer more of a hobbyist but i do find it to be interesting like i've done over certainly over 20 game jams um uh, and over those period of times you learn slowly um what works what doesn't work obviously but i guess it, it it's kind of like a weird process and journey uh, you get better at planning your game jams you get better at recruiting or if you have people and whose skills would blend well with you who um like me and aaron have done a few game jams together um you've helped a lot with the puck striker game and the the fighting game one we did a while back um and both were different challenges for different reasons, but they also helped, um, you know, they, oddly enough, they do help with maybe your portfolio. Um, if in our case, in with the game, the high, the, uh, the iOS game we built, that was very, um, I don't know. I think it was a two week game jam, but basically it was a very simple air hockey game that required two player interaction multi-touch understanding multi-touch understand you know it, it's not it's not more complicated than glorified pong but it's also you're also trying to like juice it up to make it um more interesting than it actually is i, I like the game the puck striker game you made it pop there's um, a lot of particle effect yes we made it we you know the the the, the interesting is we had a sound designer alex shout out to you alex cole um, oh, that was like the polished jam or something. It was like make the most polished game of something simple with the simplest oh, okay. mechanics or something. Yeah. That was kind of the point. Game, yeah, the jam. Yeah, 
so we had like voice acting we had um he he went to an actual arcade and recorded the um the i guess the the air that comes out of the air hockey system um he did a lot of work to make the sound like pop as much as it did um and that's kind of like the funny thing about um that's the funny thing about games right like i don't think people understand and appreciate the fact that sound is a tremendous part of what makes a game unique and interesting like you might not know you might not ever played the super mario game but you remember the song and you know the 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 ding you know like the coin bump and whatever um even if even if you've only seen or played the game once or twice um so it adds a level of polish and a level of experience that people sort of pass aside especially in game development um so a lot of times I'm like, when I, when I form a team or when I, when I'm around a team, I'm looking for a sound engineer. <laughs> There's lots of games that, um, that, that, that sound design is not only just iconic, but it like kind of saves the game. I mean, without it, I think it, it wouldn't be nearly as fun of an experience. Like even Super Mario Bros., which is a great game mechanic. I'm not sure that I would have found it as enjoyable without all those iconic sound effects. I mean, there are, all, there's all sorts of cheats I find. Um, that creative works really cheats. Well. Oh yeah. Um in the sense of like, oh, I if I add and that, that's kind of where the pop comes in on some level. Like sometimes when you're loading um when you're loading a screen, you need to provide some level of something interesting. That's a good time to add like some story-based text or something to help make the transition easier for the player. I used to do when I was taking classes at art institute um i used to do really sneaky cheats um because i didn't have a powerhouse machine a i had a mac and all the 3d tools all the workstations were pc the apps were in pc and i hated the pc no offense to pc but like at that at that time particularly i hated it because like it was my work and i don't want to have to like do that at school um so what I used was an application called Moto, which was cross-platform for my 3D work. And then I would use After Effects. So normally, in the, when you're a young, young up-and-coming 3D artist, you don't realize that you can export stuff in layers, right? So the diffuse layer, like, so when you render a scene, you can render in layers. So you can render the background, the foreground, um, and then like, okay, like I want the occlusion map. I want the depth map. I want the, so one of the tricks I would do is I would only, if the route, if the camera was static, right. I only needed to render the cam- the background once. And then I would render the 3d character that had all the, you know, the hair particle effects and all the, you know, the, you know, all the shine or whatever that I did on a, as a diffuse map, occlusion map. And I make sure I do the whole scene with a depth map. So then I would take it into After Effects and then construct the the same scene over. And it was a little more work up front, but you had way more control. You can add a blur effect to the background when you needed it to in After Effects. You can do, you can change the uh, saturation in each layer if you needed to. And then you can animate those transitions. You can add fog effects and like After Effects had this really great particle system. If you did, if you knew how to utilize it, worked really well. So ended up, I would create these 3D scenes, 
that looked great as a final product, but would have been hell to try to render um, in in uh, the game engine in the in the three D engine or three S Max at the time. Were these in these weren't interactive scenes, were they? Were they no, 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 no. That was the beauty about it was like cutscenes and. Sometimes there'd be <laughs> there'd be moments where like the render effed up, or I would be missing <laughs> a frame, and you know what I did? I JJ Abram the f out of it, and added lens flare particles for no reason, <laughs> just to hide the blemish. It was hilarious. I would do all sorts of things. I'm sorry, Tim, if you're listening, but <laughs> I just I would do all sorts of things to uh, to um, offscate the flaw or the, the the mess up somewhere in my render i mean yeah that's you gotta do it and any of these these creative pursuits uh it's kind of interesting how much uh you know the game, game design lends itself to that kind of thing because you're you're making a lot of artwork and you know so the code itself you can't you can use different kinds of cheats but eventually it has to compile and run right but the artwork you know you can you can you can hide a lot of imperfections in the artwork you do for, for stuff, which is, you know, great. It's how you get stuff done. Uh, but so you're you're doing this game jam right now. So are you actively participating, or are you just going to run it? I, at this point, I am, but much more like there's a, the crew is big enough. Like I'm not doing any programming. Like I just okay, sort of, I've sort of committed to like no, I I got too much things to do. We, we got to figure out our programming <laughs> exactly. Right. Like I want to I want to make sure like I respect my time in that sense well we haven't we haven't asked aaron like how how's his ar <laughs> pursuits going well if you remember from last week i said i would kind of go off of what you guys were working on so. oh, oh. <laughs> see that was smart we failed so we failed and thus aaron was like well i got nothing <laughs> I, I i haven't touched the code but I, i've been i was just following i was just following what Coltro was posting so basically it's just the, it's just the blind leading the blind over here. It's just I'm 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 the one at fault here. <laughs> That's fair. Moving back to the uh, the AR app idea topic, uh, I think we I've seen a lot of good examples that you've been posting, uh, Cultura, and between that and what we talked about last week, I personally haven't found any real <clears throat> inspiration of what I would want to work on. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of hard. The same ideas I've had for years just seem more useful i don't know how how much fun they'd be to build but you know like like anything that helps you to insert uh inserts you know stuff into a into a, a video scene like you do with um you know that's actually a thing they do in you know instagram now you know you do the that's what those kinds of um it's not implemented the same way but you know the filters you can put on where they change people's faces or they add things, you know, effects around your, your head or whatever. Like that kind of thing is really popular. Uh, and I, I've always wanted to be able to do that in a more, and there, I'm sure there's gotta be an app that does this. Someone's tried to do this, but the idea of actually creating virtual sets that I've talked about, I think we've talked about this before. I know you and I have gone through like that kind of thing is useful. I mean, I, I definitely see that as part of a, 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 a very useful tool for uh, someone making movies on their phone, for instance. Uh, not just as a game. I mean, because it's it's not really any different, much different than like Pokemon Go. You know, you're just inserting something into your environment, but then and recording the the uh, screen. Uh, I don't know. It's more of a tech demo, maybe. But that's something that I what I was actually filming the other day, like a week ago. I actually thought, hey, that would be cool if I could have done that. 
That actually, that actually is pretty useful in a sense of like, but I have to think that exists out there. But just getting back to your point, right? Like, can you do something where you, let's say you, you take your iPhone, you put it on a stand, you point it to you, and then you say, okay, now I want to just mask out and have something similar to what you have right now with your background, your virtual background, but maybe have an animation or like even like maybe like a TV screen or virtual TV screen, which that demo technically does. <laughs> it's just not out yet or on the one, one of the links I sent you. Yeah, I watched that. I said, that was really cool. So the, the demo for the listeners was a guy sitting on a virtual set, like behind a virtual desk with a big virtual TV screen next to him. It was showing some kind of video and he could change a perspective in there and he could have like a light up lights on the set kind of turn on and off and he could zoom out and zoom in. And and then when he cut to what was what he was actually filming, it was just literally him standing in front of a whiteboard. It wasn't even a blank whiteboard. It wasn't even a green screen or anything. So that was actually very impressive. What was most impressive to me is how well he was inserted into a virtual environment despite not even having a green screen. You can see now, I mean, it, on our Zoom call here, we have our video on, and, you know, it doesn't work super great, <laughs> the Zoom background for me. <laughs> like, it, it gets confused by uh, by my environment a little bit. But I was very impressed by that. And I, I guess, is that using, was that using Apple's technology or just some, some something else, you know? Uh, I mean, I can't speak to that because if they're smart, they wouldn't be dependent on Apple core Apple technologies if they wanted to, particularly if they wanted to be cross-platform. Um, so I don't know where it's targeted. I wasn't particularly vigilant about it <laughs> in terms of like figuring out what it, you know, where their target, where, where the platform target is going to be. Yeah. I was just wondering, cause the, it seems like Apple's platform is uh, quite advanced uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's been out for long enough that I'm pretty sure whatever was there is probably, they probably have caught up at this point. Uh, with AR core, AR kit, I'm, I'm sure that's like one to one. If one is doing something really interesting, the other one will eventually catch up. Um, so it's a little ping pong effect happening in that sense. Any of these links you've been sending make a strong impression on you? Like, oh, I would like to explore that idea in code. No, that's uh, <laughs> so kind of the thing with <laughs> AR. I mean, so we've been talking about AR stuff for years at Side Project Saturday, and. We never actually land on an idea that is super compelling, which is funny. They, they, they fall in the category of like funny bad ideas. Like these are bad app ideas, and um, they would be hilarious to make, but not necessarily a good product. Well, are we trying to make a product? Or are we trying to make a uh, an excuse to learn the APIs and the and the the concepts? I almost wonder, kind of almost going for a circle, that we need to do our own little jams to prototype and we've kind of talked about this in the in the last one about like just experimenting with these ar spending the time to experiment with it and i've done a few experiments but just just in general collectively speaking just getting a sense of the technology how to implement it what's what's good what's not working um take apart some of these tutorials and just really deep diving into like how it's implemented and then kind of going back and uh, presenting it to each other and saying, okay, I can see this mix of this combination of these tutorials working into this one particular cohesive product. 
Yeah, well, that was the idea for this week, and, <laughs> and then we failed. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't always work out. So that's still yeah. the idea, and that's fine. Life got in the way, basically. Yeah, life got in the way. But you know, that's still a good idea. I I, I think that's fine. the The problem I think we still have is it's like how there's just not a great, great solid uh, solid idea. I think I think maybe we just we just need to think more in terms of not as you said, not entire concept, not entire app concepts, but just like one aspect of the technology you're interested in like how do you how about how about putting a how about putting a uh you know like a a 3d rendered cup on my desk or something you know something stupid like that like a lot of those demos you showed uh you were you've been linking were things like that like you bring up a a card or something and it gives you like a more information in like 3d or it'd be great to have something where you had you would go up to a painting and not have to remember a number or something. It would actually like give you an overlay of what it is. It's historical reference and, and maybe even like an audio, like um, cue of, of a, a story about that piece. There is an API out there for the art museum. I don't know how well maintained it is. It's a Philadelphia art museum. Like, mm-hmm. how oh, cool. Um, that you can access and you can, kind of and it's not it's the problem with is that it's not updated because like they're the numbering system of how these items are identified doesn't match completely within there's like two sets of data um data and one is related to room and the other one is related to the object and another nothing gets correlated or referenced between the two so it's hard to really utilize it very well i that's what i remembered it, it might have improved since that point but um, they did actually have like an iOS SDK for that a while back. Um, all that being said, it's um, it's a starting point. Like you, you can actually get. I think I, there was a way to get like the actual data set down, and then you can like utilize just that data set. Um, Do you have any idea? Oh, well, there's a there's a GitHub Philadelphia Museum of Art. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I I remember back in the day it was private. I don't know if that's not yeah, the case well, they, anymore. They have some public stuff, but mm-hmm. um, they have a iBeacons one. They have a yeah, mobile framework one. for iBeacons. Yeah. It's just like iBeacon stuff, it looks like. I don't see anything about uh, database. I mean, one thing that would be great if I can just walk around and just have my AR glasses or even my phone just sort of like ping me as I get closer to a piece and then tell me what the information about that piece is. Audio, yeah, but yeah, I remember doing using iBeacons in the past years ago, and uh, I mean, now we're getting another tangent. <laughs> That's this is the tangent episode, but the iBeacons, the issue with the iBeacons is the uh, they're, they're not super exact. So, uh, I remember one project that uh, I think there was like an idea with there was someone else, and I think he decided to go with uh, QR codes because the thing about iBeacons, you get you can get close to them, and and you're but because it's our old radio. You know, you can read, uh, you can read kind of the the, you know how about about how close you are, but it's not super duper accurate. If you have multiple beacons real close to each other, they kind of interfere. Like it can, it works. If you're in a museum, it probably works better. But if you had a bunch like a paintings right next to each other, it might not be easy to figure out exactly which one you're getting near. So, but uh, yeah, I beacons are pretty cool. I know a lot of museums tried tried them out. I don't, I don't know what the current status is because I haven't been to a museum in a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have no idea what the status is, but I always liked that idea too. I, I know they had, 
Uh, I remember when I went to a museum many years ago, there was some kind of like, like, uh, like headphones or something you could, you could get in one of these museums I went to. It was a long time ago and it would give you like an audio tour. And I don't know how they had that working, but it wasn't like an iOS app or something. But yeah, so something like that, like a like painting, like a like a tour of a museum or painting info. Well, one thing that I think like a like a short term idea is to sort of take the take take a phone, point to an art piece, even if it's on the computer, object detect that, figure out what art piece that is, and then return just some simple metadata about it in a UI, right? Um, so it would, um, I think that actually has a lot of potential as a framework to build as a, like an art museum. Um, yeah. Or a virtual tour. I, uh, I, I, I didn't really, pay, I, I, someone, I was asked for ideas at work the other day, um, for things. And one of them was a virtual tour. And that was basically what I was thinking of. You go to certain landmarks around campus or some, wherever you are in the city, and yeah, if you can do object detection on like a statue, definitely do that. Then you can yeah, bring up metadata about it. Bring up you could have a self directed tour around. Oh, what you should do, you know those like signs that like um, look that have like information on them all over the city. You can have like a little diamond that places itself on top of it, so people know that that's something to look at. You go towards it, and then the diamond converts into like as you as it figures out what it is, it'll convert to the actual metadata. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. You you don't even need to have different diamonds, whatever. You could just do it with the the fact that it's a diamond and GPS, and that could be the two signals you need to figure out what metadata to get. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, and so that's actually that's what I mean, like a virtual tour or a scavenger hunt, those types of of things. That would be pretty cool. I imagine this has been done somebody somewhere before, but I haven't seen like a big splashy product that does it. So maybe it's uh, hard. <laughs> <laughs> well it's hard when you got to do it with your testing on the phone all the time that's what makes it hard yeah that's the thing it's always with the phone thing yeah yeah however i could see it being having some utility hmm. the phone especially because phones have gotten so big it's it's more screen now maybe the our to-do list for this next week is to figure out um it doesn't have to be a um doesn't have to be a diamond but just put like a square on top of a landmark so like when you walk outside let's say i don't know just pick a landmark near you like a gps location near you put a square right there and see how that works you mean how and, to do it yeah just just slowly build that pro that project up i, I can even build oh, so you want to put a you want to put a virtual icon on it i was thinking you had like a physical icon but yeah you could do a virtual one yeah, it's just trying to like identify like a spot, so then that way you can like then present the information about it. I was thinking the the two different ways of doing this. I was thinking you have a physical thing like a sign, like an icon, like a diamond, or whatever that's literally there, and then that's what you use to recognize. Right, that's what I was thinking. Or now you're saying instead you have to re you recognize based on your GPS and maybe object recognition, depending on what it is. And then you put like a virtual thing. Say, I was thinking the other way around because I'm thinking right now we don't have glasses. So if you're walking around, you you, you need to be able to uh, identify the objects. The easiest way is to have some predefined, um, you know, symbol that you can latch onto. You can recognize with the uh, vision framework or whatever framework it is. But no, I like the idea. How about just just uh, it's like the common 
AR kit demo I see is pinning some kind of virtual information or icon or something on a physical object, like a card or something. That shouldn't be straightforward, right? Like there's actually a demos for it. So we could explore doing that on a real location. I can create it or somebody can create it. I'll just create a GitHub project and we can all test. I always like the idea of it, but um, I don't know if it works well on the phone, but those virtual cards, you know, like the, you know, look at, the, look at someone's card and then get all the information about them. Yeah, yeah. There's There was a, an example of that from designcode.io. Really? Oh, cool. So the, he had some really nice looking ones um, that he did that I need to download. <laughs> well, I still have the subscription. <laughs> But yeah, his is his was really nice. Um, I don't know how they hold up because they were old versions, but definitely it's a starting point for what we're trying to do. For an AR business card. Yep. Now we're hitting up against time, so I want to make sure we kind of wrap up and. Yeah. How, how do we wrap up this uh, tangent-filled kind of <laughs> mess of an episode? We wrap it up by saying what we're going to try to do by what there should be an expectation of what we do by next podcast which is building a very 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 basic prototype of a location-based um ar kit um like drop pin basically yeah, so uh, and maybe overlay some metadata on that spot just so we can i we can be verified like okay this is the spot of you know, such a place yeah, you'd think the Apple Maps would do that already. I don't think it has that capability, right? Like it doesn't in the street view world. I mean, this this is the whole this is the whole journey of you know, whether or not this is just a silly this has already been built and we're just on a you know, we've just sort of done a weirdy silly It's fine if it's already been built. Yeah. We haven't built it. Right. We haven't built it. And so the journey's new to us. Yeah, I mean I just I want to get uh I want to get an understanding of the concepts and specifically the APIs, but more importantly than the APIs and Apple on Apple side is the concepts about this. And, you know, what is it that, what does it mean to have an, an augmented reality app and what kinds of things can it do? And just explore that space because it's going, I think it is going to be a thing. I mean, it's, I, 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 there's so much smoke that there's probably fire there about hardware. And if Apple releases some hardware, it's not always guaranteed they're gonna be successful, but there's a good chance, and there's already a lot of other companies working on hardware and dev kits and such. There's just, it's something that is worth looking into since we are developers in this space. I mean, we're always told in the Apple space, there's always a line, uh, go, where the, go where the puck is going, not where it's been. Some version of that, that line. But basically, we kind of we we are reading the tea leaves, and that's basically what the tea leaves are saying. Yeah, exactly. So they're they're saying, you know, we're all gonna be wearing iPhones strapped to our faces. You know, I just realized there's so many phrases here <laughs> that I, I'm saying. You're a fa- you're just a fountain of great, uh, you know, title ideas. The, these quotes, I have no idea why they were made. <laughs> it's like, who cares about tea leaves? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Reading the tea leaves because that's a that's a thing. You ever saw someone read tea leaves? I know, I know that's a thing. No, but yeah. Aaron, do you have any other thing you want to uh, say or what you want, might want to do for this next few weeks? I just want to work on something together with you guys, not just um, 
because if, if we try to do this go off on solo projects i don't know if we're going to get anywhere which is why i'm going to be building the ghetto project okay a goal is is very simple put an icon or something on a physical object in a physical place like it could be in your your house but or it could be outside whatever before we head out do we have any non-sponsor sponsorships we should be plugging any apps we should be plugging do we have a non-sponsor sponsorship so i have a pitch for a good friend russell uh at happyscale.com i was literally thinking that happyscale.com at least the pitch here is dieting is hard enough and when you work hard hop on the scale and see the number that's higher than yesterday well that's just not fair Happy Scale smooths out your daily scale weights and makes insights, predictions of when you hit your goal. Join the hundreds of thousands of users who use Happy Scale to tame the scale. Download at the App Store. That's literally the, the, the quote <laughs> from uh, the website. I'm a longtime user of Happy Scale. I have recently been watching it go up in the wrong direction, but it's been going up in a nice smooth, you know, nice <laughs> smooth line. So, so it's, you know... <laughs> Well, it was the holidays. I mean, you you kind of you kind of have that excuse. It, no, it was going down for a while. The whole smooth scaling thing is actually a great idea. So there, he has no he has no idea we're talking about this. And if you are one of our nine or ten listeners, whatever, listening to this, um, is a great product. And I I've been using it for years. And this the actual algorithms he uses to smooth it it, it actually is helpful because your weight will fluctuate. And if you're like me and you're obsessive about kind of capturing your health data and you weigh yourself like every day, those fluctuations can be rather dramatic, you know, like they go up and down, up and down. But if you look at the, his scaled or his smooth scale, you'll see over time you're go you're trending in one direction or another. And when the trend's going down, that's of course preferable. But if the trend starts going up, then that's a nice signal that you need to make some kind of change. So I find his app very useful, whether I am succeeding or failing in my goals of weight management. It's actually a really great product. Uh, I like it. It's the only. It's really is the only um, scale app that I've been able to consistently or weight at tracking app that I've been able to consistently use for I think years. Good for him. All right, and 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 we're not paid on this sponsorship, by the way. We just like to support our our good friend. Awesome app for us. Cool. Well, that is it for this episode of Billy Coco presents Side Project Spotlight. If you have any questions or emails or whatever, just. Uh, I don't know. Post it in the comments. <laughs> comments on what? We don't have an email. We don't have any comments. It's a podcast. Just oh, try to look us up on Twitter. I don't know. Tweet at Philly Coca. Philly, yeah. Do that. Right. Don't worry. We'll do better next time, people. Yeah, it's always a work in progress. <laughs> any of these links you've been sending make a strong impression on you? Like, oh, I would like to explore that idea in code. No. <laughs>